then fifteen, then twenty-five. Thirty years after the incident, diagnosed with terminal emphysema and with little contemplation that he was to remain the Roswell expendable, he finally spoke out. If not him, who else would risk the retaliation of the secret keepers? For three decades, he remained the eponymous hero for those who espoused the weather balloon tale. He was already dying, and in his mind, he only had so much time to set the record straight. Of all the revealing details he began to disclose about the wreckage, the most telling of his confessions was, it was not an aircraft of any kind. That I am sure of. We didn't know what it was. It was nothing made on the earth. But still, he had no proof. My greatest regret through the course of our investigation into Roswell is that we never had the chance to meet the man whose name has become synonymous with the case, Jesse Marcel. We have seen all of the recorded and videotaped interviews of the long-deceased intelligence officer, but the one activity that no previous researcher even ventured was to take him back to the scene of the crime, so to speak and have him walk through the entire scenario. Oh, how we would have relished the opportunity to take him back to the old Foster Ranch and gain a full appreciation beyond just words, no matter how picturesque. Three years after Marcel's passing in 1986, rather than seeking his restitution, we sought to indict him once again to forever cast his words of otherworldly phenomenon to those professed by a mere charlatan. And as we experienced our own illumination and soon realized that Roswell was truly a significant event, I began to envy those who met the man, those who sought the truth from one who lived it, the man who, more accurately, was the eponymous hero of the flying saucer reality. Next to finish the job that Marcel started. Last fall, 1992, I became aware of a strange series of events beginning in New Mexico over 45 years ago involving personnel of what was then the Army Air Force. I have since reviewed the facts in some detail, and I am writing to request your assistance in arriving at a definitive explanation of what transpired and why. So began the first of three such requests to then-Secretary of Defense Les Aspen. Although the city of Roswell was not part of his district, the late Congressman Stephen Schiff was compelled to become personally involved, citing, Most Americans don't believe they were told the full story about Roswell by their government. Representative Schiff was not amused with the Secretary's failure to respond. The facts reviewed, which inspired Schiff to look into the continuing mystery of Roswell, were provided by our investigation. During the previous months, eyewitness testimony transcripts and sworn affidavits were sent to the congressman's chief aide, Mary Martinick. We would soon be asked to meet with Schiff at his office at the Rayburn Building in Washington. For the first time in 45 years, 
It appeared that Roswell would finally receive the political muscle needed to take the investigation to the next level. At first, the secret keepers tried to simply brush us away like flies. Now we had good calling to persist. As was stated, the Secretary of Defense declined to respond, but taking his lead from the Air Force on all matters UFO-related, his proxy, USAF Director of Plans and Operations Colonel Lawrence G. Shockley, referred Schiff to the National Archives. Sensing a lack of cooperation, Schiff again sent another letter to Aspen. This time, Special Assistant Rudy de Leon reiterated the suggestion of seeking data from the archives as, these records are too old to be available here at the Pentagon, 